1 John, continue our Sunday evening service, um, service hopefully, but our series. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 is our focus, but to try and give a, um, a little bit of an understanding and grasp, grasp some of the context, I'd like to begin reading in chapter 2 and verse 28. So some of you might have to turn a page, some of you, it's all on the same page there. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and then I'm going to read all the way down through verse 3 of chapter 3. Okay? Follow along as you listen to God's word as John writes in this letter to the church and the Christians. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone which doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the precious moments that we have remaining this evening to be in it, to be reminded of the believer's marvelous privileges that we have positionally in you lord thank you for jesus and salvation thank you for the incredible marvelous reality that we can that we can be called that we are called the sons of god thank you lord for allowing us to be your children thank you for the privileges that come with that the blessings that come with it. And Lord, I pray that maybe in a brief reminder of some of those marvelous privileges tonight, we would be strengthened, we would be um, um, encouraged, um, and, and, and our confidence would be boosted as we look forward to being in your presence one day. Thank you for your word tonight, and we ask for your continued guidance and direction and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, or last time in First John, I was using an illustration um, at one point in time of children getting ready to meet their parents, right? When dad comes home and they got to line up in the kitchen and meet dad because they've been naughty and discipline's coming or the wrath of dad, right? Was that deep enough to get my kids' attention? The wrath of dad, all right? Now they're paying attention. All right, good. So, right, we, we prepare, you know, we, we are familiar with that, whether you're a, par a parental familiarity or as a child, thinking back, for some of us, maybe a lot more years than we want to admit. We think back of that, that sense of being prepared to meet your father. And this week, looking at verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 John, we see another sense of waiting to meet our father. And the sense is still, I think, somewhat portrayed in a, chi a human, childlike, to a, to a human father type of relationship. I think of it this way. 
Think about how a child is waiting for dad to get home. I'm thinking of my household. I'm thinking of my children. I'm imagining what I have heard retold by my wife on how there has been, the day has been had. My wife teaches, she's a diligent teacher, and she teaches the kids school, and maybe they weren't doing so well in school that day. Maybe there was some complaining. Maybe there was some crying. Maybe there was some goofing off or poking each other with a pencil or playing with the dog or all these other things other than doing school. And they're shaking their head yes. And mom gives dad a call on the phone at the office and says, you're going to need to talk to the boys when they get home. Sometimes dad needs to talk to the boys or the daughter on the phone before he even gets home. And they really pray that dad doesn't make a trip home prematurely just to see them. Allie and I love our children. And I'm pretty well convinced that our children love us. And so there's a different level of anticipation for the father to return home when a child knows and loves the father that's coming home. Even when there might have to be discipline, there's a certain amount of privileges of knowing, but I am his son or his daughter And I know at the end of the day, there might be some tears, but I know he loves me. And I know that I'm not going to be disowned from the family. He's not going to put me out of the household. He's still going to love me, and he cares for me. And I can still anticipate this, even in the light of disobedience in some ways. I think knowledge of the preciously unique privileges which Christians have received from God will in and of themselves build up confidence for when we will soon appear before our Father. When we begin to see and remember and read and experience the privileges that God has given us right now in Christ, it helps to boost our confidence and gives us a sense of urgency to meet our father amen we can experience those privileges right now and god wants us to understand and to know these privileges and so john writes them out as the spirit leads and we see them here on the pages of scripture in verse one in fact pastor's challenge tonight only preaching from one verse tonight all right just one verse we look in verse one here of chapter three and we see folks some marvelous privileges that you have if you're a Christian here this evening. One of the wonderful reasons for which we can anticipate the appearance of Christ is because of the privileges we've already received. And the privileges that John articulates and and, and writes here about, that God gives us, these privileges are basic to abiding in Him. That's one of the major themes of our series on Sunday night. Abiding in Christ, our relationship and fellowship with Him. And they are also an incentive to abide in Christ. An an incentive for us to abide in Christ are these privileges that come with being in Him. So, in 1 John 3, verse 1, you can see that God wants you to know, and God, Christian, God wants you to, to enjoy your marvelous privileges that you have in Him. 
You're like, wow, this sounds really good. Remind me, Pastor, what are the privileges? You see it there in the scriptures before you. So I hope you have Bibles open and ready. Look at verse 3, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 3, 1 John, and, and see, firstly, that John reminds us that the believers are recipients of God's love. <laughs> Let that just settle in. Let the silence be awkward enough to let it settle in. If you're a Christian, you are a recipient, like me, of God's love. That shouldn't be too simple. That is profound. God's love. Behold, John says, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Behold, this word here, it's a command. A little bit of looking at the original language and understanding the tense here helps us understand. Behold, here is a command. And furthermore, this might help you understand, it is here a plural. So here is a plural command, which means, what does that, what does that tell you? Well, listen up. This is what it tells you. A plural command, behold, tells us that it is, it is calling on all believers, all Christians, to look and to consider the wonder of God's love that is bestowed on you. That's, that's what John is saying here. So behold, you could rightly say, look at what manner, all of you Christians, look at what manner of love. Manner of love is describing what kind of love, and that love here is the strongest form of love. That's the agape love, the sacrificial love. God's love motivated him to send his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for dirty, rotten, wretched sinners like David Swope. <laughs> like you. God sent his son out of a motivation of love. How great is that kind of love? In our household, we don't we, we uh, and if you do this, it's fine, but we try to be careful, intentional about teaching our children on what words they use and how they talk. So there's certain words we don't say. You know, that's a yucky word. We don't say that. And there's other words that people say probably maybe too much and too loosely. And the word is awesome. Dude, that's awesome, right? We have a saying in our house, well, I grew up with this way too. Only God's awesome. This is his awesome love from an awesome God. There's no other words to put to it. In fact, anything in the world's vernacular, English or any other language, does not do justice to the awesomeness of God. God's love is an unequaled love. There's nothing else like God's love. This means God's love exceeds any love of any human origin. It is an <laughs> extraterrestrial love. That means it's out of this world. It is a love like no other human being can, can bestow on anyone. John writes these three words, what manner of of and this translates those three words are in English translates a Greek word originally meaning these three words of what country 
From what country? From what origin? Where does this come from? And it carries the idea of something that is foreign. So it is a foreign, extraterrestrial, outside of this world kind of a love. That's what God's love is like. So when Christ quieted the sea, do you remember that in the Gospels? When Jesus quieted the stormy sea, the disciples marveled. And you might even note this as a cross-reference to verse 1 of chapter 3 in 1 John. And that reference is Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, 27. And the disciples said, this is sound familiar now, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? That's a way of saying, what kind of an awesome person is this? In a most divine sort of way, Dude, this is out of the world. (laughs) That's the type of love. And they saw in Christ someone who was more than terrestrial, more than human and of this world. He was God from heaven. And God's love is from heaven above, sent to earth in the person of Jesus Christ who lived among and died for a sin-cursed humanity. Why? Because of his love. (laughs) There is no natural parallel that anyone could draw. There is no natural parallel to this love. Oh, the world is full of love stories, isn't it? Some have gone down in the accolades of history. Some have, have, have gone down and in, in, in are, are memorable, some stories. You know, we have some incredible love stories and some couples in this congregation here tonight. Some dear, dear folks that have demonstrated a sacrificial love to their spouses for many years, in some cases, their second spouse in a God-honoring way. But dear friends, I say this with all love. No love story of this world compares to the type of love that our Father has bestowed on us. And there is no respecter of persons in God's bestowing that love. That's a biblical way of saying that God does not say, hmm, they're worth more of my love and them's not so much and they've earned this and it's merited and so on and so forth. He's not picky and choosy that way. Everyone has the equal opportunity of receiving that eternal love. Everyone. (laughs) Even the finest relationships are but a veiled glimpse of God's unequaled great agape love. So, believers are recipients of God's love, and, and, and within that we see that God's love is unequaled love, and, and then we see that God's love is an unearned love. I'm sorry to break you down a little bit here tonight, but if you think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm basically kind of an okay person, so it's pretty easy for God to love me. Whereas maybe somebody else might say, well, <laughs> this congregation has no idea the wretched type of a person that I am. And I say to either one of those, it doesn't matter. God knows all things. And every one of us are equally um, unable to merit or earn God's love. 
It is a free gift bestowed on us. So God's love is an unearned love, and this love was bestowed upon us, John says. So you look at these words here in, in 1 John. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Bestowed is an important, we need to understand this, these three words. Bestowed upon us. It is so important to understand this. To get our theology, our doctrine correct. So the tense of the word bestowed, or the, the word that we have in English bestowed for, indicates that it is now a permanent possession. Amen? It's not a love that we have to keep bringing flowers to her every so often to make sure that she still tells us we love her. It's not the kind of love that you've got to keep cooking the right kind of meal so he still loves you because he's being fed well. It's a kind of love that's been bestowed on us, and it is there to stay. Bestowed. You know, the same word is translated in John chapter 3, the gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, as gave bestowed and gave. You might note that down in the margin of your Bible as well. John 3.16, the word gave, is the same word that um, we, we get the word bestowed from. Bestowed and gave. And that helps us to understand, listen to this, it helps us understand the magnitude of God's love as a gift. It was given to us. It was not earned. We feel often obligated when someone gives us a gift sometimes, don't we? I mean, the pressures of the marketing world. My goodness, you can't hardly have a holiday without some sort of enormous pressure on your shoulders, us guys especially. It's Valentine's Day. It's, you know, and you go down the list, all the things you have to buy, and then somebody gives you a gift, and then you feel like sometimes it's their spouse, or you got to one-up the gift, or you remind, oh, I forgot to get a gift for them, and then there's just, ah, and it goes on and on and on in a vicious, vicious circle. It, it stimulates these, these, these um, feelings of obligation and expectation when a gift is presented and given. I think naturally in this world. But God's giving is totally different from ours. Paul helps us see that. Flip over real quick to Romans really quick. We'll go back to 1 John. But let's see um, how the Apostle Paul teaches us how God's love is different than the type of gift giving love that's in the world today. And for this, we have to see an ugly truth. We have to pull back the band-aid, and we have to look at the ugly truth. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Word of God is calling us once ungodly. Because it's true. For scarcely... For a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's a whole different type of gift-giving love than this world can produce. This is God's bestowing upon us, giving us love. So God's love is a gift to the believer permanently permanently given to him. 
gifts are given. If you do anything to earn them, it is not a gift. We understand this. It's a rather simple way to understand things. Rewards are merited. Wages are worked for. Grades are earned. Presents are exchanged. But gifts are given. Gifts are given. And God gave, bestowed upon us His love in the midst of not deserving it. In fact, human love is usually based upon some desirable trait that is found in another person. And there's all sorts of desirable traits in my wife. (laughs) And my wife is somebody that's pretty easy to love because of the desirable traits. You don't have to echo the same thing back. Don't say it so loud and so soon about me, dear wife, but put her on the spot. That's rough. I'll hear that one later. Humanly speaking, we often will show love and give love because there is something, some desirable trait that we seek in return. Okay? It may be physical attraction at first, or it may be a pleasing personality, a noble characteristic, or skill, or beauty, or whatever it may be. But this is not so with God's love for sinful man. This is good news, folks. This is blessed news. We are totally depraved sinners. Totally repugnant to a holy God we once were. We were not seeking Him, but we were in fact, Paul writes in chapter 3 of Romans, and verse 10 all the way through 20, all 10 of those verses there, disgustingly but rightly so, remind us that we were not searching for Him. In fact, we were going away from God when God saved us. And although we were weak, ungodly enemies of God, yet Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. This means he did not ask sinners to clean up their act, to pull themselves out of the gutter, to to straighten themselves up and situate their life so that things are in order so that God might receive them. No way. No sir and no ma'am. God's holy word says that while we were yet sinners, Christ in his love died for us. This means, this means everything. It means everything. He loved us when we were totally unlovable. And his love is an unearned gift. All of this and even more in verse 1 of chapter 3. John also writes, and God wants us to see, that believers are recipients not only of God's love, but of God's life. 
believers, Christians tonight, know from the scriptures that you are recipients of God's life. God's love for us leads to our life from him. We are called the sons of God. The sons of God. So there are actually two Greek words. Um, or two Greek words are both translated as sons or children in the King James version of the Bible. Okay? So when speaking of believers, the Apostle Paul, by way of comparison, so I'm comparing Paul and John for a minute here. So the Apostle Paul, when speaking to believers, characteristically, but not always, not entirely, used the words which stresses the rights and responsibilities a believer has in God's family. Those are the type of words he used when he talked about son, children of God. He talks about, he uses the words that express the rights and the privileges from some, what of a, legal sort of a vernacular that he uses. Whereas John, as we're reading in his little letter here, John always used the words which stresses the believer's birth, family relationship, or the regenerative relationship that believers have with God the Father. Both are right, but you see how the two different stresses there that are made. And so we're reading in John's epistle, and we see this stress. And this is this close intimate family fellowship relationship that can never be unbroken that John is describing. So as, as a child receives his physical life from his natural father, so a believer receives his, his, his or her spiritual life from God the Father. It's a beautiful thing to consider. So believers are recipients of God's life. And, uh, and this is what John is, is, is showing us in his letter here, to be called the sons of God. We can only be called the sons of God because of God's love. And so this life from God is understood, excuse me, rather it's, it's undeserved, it's understood, but this, 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 this life from God is undeserved by believers. And that must be stressed. The New Testament stresses that, and so I stress it also. We do not deserve his life. There isn't any one of us in this room. And I say this in love, because Scripture says this. There's not any one of us in here, including me, that is deserving of God's life. Not a one of us. We do not deserve his life. In fact, we deserve the very opposite of life, which is death. We deserve death. We, we, Romans 6.23 says we, the, the wages of sin is death. That means we've earned death because of our sinfulness and our inherent sinfulness. We're guilty of that. Romans 3.23, we're guilty of that sin. And so according to God's law, we should die. But because God's foreign extraterrestrial, awesome kind of love, we <laughs> live, and we will live. In love and grace, God not only pardoned us from our sins, he made us a part of his special, unique family. We are his children, even though we do not deserve the standing. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 17 you can be reminded, it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Wow. Heirs of the same thing, Jesus Christ, of the same Father. 
This life from God is also unappreciated by the unbeliever. Look at verse 3 again. This is the last portion of the verse, and we'll be done. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Here the, the word know speaks of an intimate, um, appreciative knowledge. We appreciate things when we experience things. We appreciate things when we have an intimate knowledge of something. That is what the word here, know, is speaking of. So, obviously, people know we are believers. Some of us are extra funny, and they look at us and go, well, i got to be a believer, right? No? No laughs on that? Okay, maybe just me. The world looks at us, and we, they, they see that we're believers, Hopefully that's not too hard to see. Obviously people in the world see this. They may even at times be friendly to us. Some of you, as I have, have benefited in the workplace because even in a secular setting, the morals and the ethics of a Christian is one that causes an employer to profit and to do well. And so in some cases the world recognizes we're a believer and they appreciate that. But because of the world's antagonism towards Christ, the world, John says, cannot fully appreciate the believer and what we stand for. That's the no that John is talking about here. The world cannot and never appreciate fully the type of relationship and position that we have in Christ. First John, or excuse me, Gospel of John. I know it gets a little confusing. There's the Gospel of John, there's First John, Second John, Third John, and then John writes some other things too. <laughs> but in John, the Gospel of John, chapter one and verse ten reads, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Christ warned, our Lord warned that the world would hate and persecute the believer because it firstly hated him. Someone once wrote this. I don't know who the author is. One of the things I was reading and studying in preparation for this, and I appreciate this. Let me, let me read this quote. Since the people of the world have nothing in common with the children of God, they have no fellowship with them, and therefore have no intelligent appreciation and understanding of them. If you ever feel underappreciated because of spiritual things, if you ever feel like people just don't know and understand, it's because it's true. It's because they do not have the illuminated understanding of being part of God's family. So, though the world hates us, Know this. John wants us to know this. God wants you to know this. God loves you. God loves me. He loves us. An appreciation for God's great, selfless, outgoing, giving love. We should lovingly serve the one who is altogether lovely and seek to please him in everything we do, like this morning, all 
to the glory of God. You know, God wants you to know and enjoy your marvelous privileges, dear Christian. And one of the wonderful reasons for which we can anticipate the appearance of Christ one day is because of the privileges that we have already received from him right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, this evening, Lord, I pray your giving us knowledge of the unique privileges we have as your children will build our confidence in one day standing before you. Lord, help each one here tonight to realize the privileges that are basic to abiding in you. Thank you for the abiding, loving relationship that we have in you. Thank you for the marvelous privileges and the, oh, the precious times we can look at scriptures and remind each other and ourselves these marvelous privileges. <laughs> Lord, we recognize, we desire, and we pray for strength as we endeavor to abide in you closely, daily, moment by moment, soon awaiting your turn to meet, your, your return, to meet our Lord, one day, to meet our Father. We anticipate this in confidence. Thank you for First John. In Jesus' name, amen.